to be with you in this place. And I uh, lost my sword. Here it is. There it is. Okay. As I studied, uh, we're going to be in the Psalms again. Go ahead. You can go ahead and turn to Psalm 63 or on your electronic device. Uh, take a look at Psalm 63. I'll read it to you as we uh, make our way through the message. Uh, as I studied and meditated on Psalm 63 this week, I wondered what the world would say is the most important thing regarding human happiness and satisfaction. So, when you want to know what the world has to say about anything, what do you do? You Google. Right? So, I Googled. And depending on how I phrased the question, I got a quarter of a million to two million hits. And... Um, I didn't look at that many sites. Obviously, I looked at about 10. And uh, so I wanted to to share with you what I learned. This is what the world thinks. Um, I actually bounced into um, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Were any of you taught this in school? Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Okay, I was taught this, believe it or not, even back in the 70s when I was in high school. Back in ancient times, I was taught this. And so you guys, know, you guys know where it starts. It starts at the very bottom, the very bottom foundational need to, to uh, support human happiness and satisfaction is, of course, all of our physical needs. Uh, food, drink, shelter, warmth, uh, sleep, sex, etc. Secondly would be the, the needs of safety, protection from elements, security, order, law, stability, freedom, from fear. The next category is love and belongingness needs. Uh, friendship, intimacy, affection, and love uh, with a work group, family, friends, romantic relationships, etc. The next level up is esteem needs to have achievement, to, to obtain mastery over some skill or profession, um, to have independence, to have status, prestige, self respect and the respect of others. The highest, uh, or at the top of the pyramid, is self-actualization, which means realizing personal potential, self-fulfillment, seeking personal growth, and having rewarding experiences. Now, there are a lot of variations of these things on the Internet, but these are basically uh, the foundational uh, aspects of human happiness and human satisfaction. Of course, there's one that's missing there that we will pursue and speak about at length in a few moments. I just wanted to share this with you. I also ran into seven, ha- seven habits. It's an article entitled Seven Habits of Incredibly Happy People. So I want to ask you, how many of you are incredibly happy? Not many of you. Okay, there's one or two. The Aussies are always happy. They're one of the happiest. The Australians are one of the happiest countries in the world. That's documented. It's science. They're one of the happiest <laughs> okay. Seven hab- seven ha- aren't you glad you came tonight? This is just free stuff. Seven habits of incredibly, not just nominally, incredibly happy people. I'm going to give it to you for free. Meaningful work, close relationships, exercise, mastery, which means you know proficiency in some skill or profession, experience over material, which I thought was interesting, doing over owning, right? Uh, which I think most people would agree, and then pursuing your itch or pursuing uh, 
your dreams. The articles I looked at, the sites I looked at, did not emphasize the spiritual dimension of mankind to promote happiness. And when they did mention it, they focused on, let's call it religion, they focused on religion merely as a way to deepen relationships and as a coping mechanism, right? Just simply as a coping mechanism, a, a big paradigm structure in which to process life. Which, this drove me to another Google uh, search which, which was on religions. This is just more free stuff. I just wanted to tell you, I think you know these things. Uh, but Google says about a third, of the, a third of the planet is Christian. But you have to look at the fine print. I mean, they're including cults like Mormonism and uh, Jehovah's Witness and those kinds of things. So these are, these are rough numbers. A third are Christian, allegedly. 20% um, Muslim, 15% secular, which was much higher than I thought. 15% secular or atheistic. 14% Hindu, 6% Buddhist. 6% Chinese traditionalist, 5% with ethnic or tribal beliefs, and I just thought it was interesting, I wanted to share it with you, 0.2% hold to Judaism. So we have 90 plus percent holding, pardon me, 85% holding to traditional religious beliefs, and then you have another 15% that are secular, which is a, a religion really in and of itself. So the numbers don't lie. There's something about the spiritual dimension. Man universally understands this. All throughout the history of the world, man has been religious. It's, it's a visceral need that mankind has. Again, most psychologists and sociologists will emphasize the utilitarian aspect of religion. Meaning, I use the religion to make me happy, right? I use God or some God to make me feel good about myself. Again, this is what you see um, in much sociology and psychology. Um, faith is simply utilitarian. Come on in, come on in. Which brings, me, which brings me to the point that we're going to talk about tonight. Brings me back to Scripture. Um, the God of the Bible will not be used for your happiness or for your satisfaction. The God of the Bible will not be used. I am, um, will not simply be another component in the paradigm of your happiness. Jesus Christ will never fit into humanity's hierarchy of needs. Jesus Christ transcends those. Jesus Christ transcends every other human need. As I've shared with you before, there are two primary tragedies in the world. Anybody remember what they are? Two principal tragedies. There, there are a million tragedies in this fallen world. That's not it, but that's a good answer. It's a good answer. Those are, um, well, that is a tragedy that uh, Oscar Wilde talks about. But I'm talking about the, the premier tragedies in, in this world. God is profaned. 
Anybody remember the next, next one? Man is perishing. It's what the Bible talks about. God is profaned and man is perishing. Jesus Christ has come to resolve both issues. Right? Jesus Christ has come to resolve both of these tragedies. That you would no longer profane God in your unbelief and in denying Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords, that you'd no longer profane God, declaring your independence from Him and living indifferently to God and autonomous from God. Jesus Christ has come that you'll no longer profane God and that you would not perish because of the work He did on the cross. You would not perish because of the guilt of your sin. Jesus Christ has come to resolve these two tragedies. Jesus Christ transcends every other need you think you have. I'm not discounting these other needs that, that are wired into the human soul. But the, the premier need of humankind is Jesus Christ. And that's the point tonight that we're going to see in Psalm 60. So we're way past self-actualization. We're way past self-esteem. We're way past needing community. We're way past meaningful work and human relationships and exercise and uh, experience and dream chasing and even safety and physical needs. We are way past all of that. The most urgent need you have and the most urgent need I have is to be in relationship with my Creator. Colossians 1.16 that's Jesus Christ. We were created by Him and for Him. And beloved, that's our greatest need. Jesus said it like this, I am the bread of life. And what I'm saying to you tonight is you need the bread of life more than you need bread. Jesus said, I am the living water. And what I'm saying to you tonight is that you need the living water more than you need water. You say, Jim, that's pretty strong. <laughs> it's truth. It's ultimate truth. You say, I can't go three days without water. You know without Jesus Christ, you're just a dead man walking. You know that, right? Apart from Jesus Christ, the whole world is a dead man walking. Beloved, you need to understand your most urgent need is Jesus Christ. Your most urgent need is to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. We're not here, I say it to you a lot, we're not here playing religion. It's not about religion. If you think ICM's about religion, don't come back anymore. We're not about that. We're about the truth of God. We're, we, we talk about real things when you come in here. Real things, necessary things, essential things. You need the living bread. And you need the bread of life more than you need anything else. I hope and I trust that each one of you understand that. In Psalm 63, it's what David is showing us. Let me give you the backstory on Psalm 63. Some of you know it. Absalom has rebelled. David's third son, Absalom has rebelled against David militarily. This is an armed insurgence against the king. 
Absalom has run David out of Jerusalem. David is in the wilderness. If you have a study Bible, the, the, the title of your psalm will be David in the wilderness. And most scholars agree this is when Absalom rebelled and David had to flee for his life. Verse 1, Psalm 63. O God, You are my God. I shall seek You earnestly. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh yearns for You in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Alright, let's, let's get this straight. David's son is leading a rebellion against him. He's had to evacuate Jerusalem. He's in the wilderness. He has no idea how this is going to go down. He has no idea how this finishes. This is a very humiliating, uh, difficult trial for David. And what I want to say to you is I want you to look at what David is saying. What is David saying? What is David saying? I have to have God above all things. I need God. Beloved, you know you need God every day. Some of you probably wake up and go through your whole day and never think about the fact that God is upholding you. That every breath of oxygen, is, it's His oxygen, it's a gift. That every time your brain fires, it's a gift. Every time your diaphragm works, it's a gift. Some of us, some of us are so thankless. Some of us take so much for granted. David's in the wilderness, but David is worshiping, right? He's in a hard spot, but he's worshiping. He says, I need you more than my kingdom. I need you, God. I need you. I need you more than self-esteem. I need you more than bread. My flesh yearns for you, God. This is a, be a beautiful, beautiful psalm. It's how you're supposed to live. <laughs> it's how I'm supposed to live. We're supposed to know this is true of us. We must have God. I know most of the world and much of the professing church believes they can be happy apart from an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, I want to tell you, that's a lie. If you believe that, you've bought into a lie. If you believe that, Satan has got your ear. If you believe that, the media um, has sold you the lie. We talked about it last week. Christianity is radically personal. It's radically personal. It's what David is saying. i got to have God. He's my God. He's not just any God. He says He's my God. He says, I'm seeking you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. Not some coping mechanism. Not some comfort in the community. I need God. Some of you are not keenly aware just how badly you need Jesus Christ. Some of you are. Some of you are in, difficult, in a difficult spot. That's when you know for sure you must have God or you will perish. You know when everything's going well? You know, God just kind of takes a back seat, doesn't He? 
oftentimes. Your whole life is working well, and we forget God's in the background making it all happen. Every bit of it. Oh, yeah, if your heart beats one more time, it's God. If your brain fires again, it's God. It's one thing I think David is saying to us. So it's radically personal. We know Him or we don't. We love Him or we don't. We worship Him or we don't. We follow Him or we don't. It's what we talked about last week. I like Eugene Peterson's paraphrase here in the Message Bible. He says, God, You're my God! I can't get enough of You! Right? Is that how it is with you and Jesus? I can't get enough of Christ. I can't get enough. My day's built around the fact I can't get enough of this God who saved me and loved me when I was an enemy and a rebel. I can't get enough of this God. I love that paraphrase. I love that paraphrase. Another psalmist says in Psalm 42.1, As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for You, O God. Another psalmist says, Psalm 73.25, Whom have I in heaven but You, and beside You I desire nothing on earth. What I want to say to You, beloved, is that how it is with You and Jesus on a daily basis? Or is it just an hour or two on Sunday when you have time for Him? These are important questions for us, beloved. We are way past self-esteem. We are way past community. We are way past even safety and sustenance. David says, beside you, I desire nothing else on earth. This is a, this is a spiritual man. This is a mature spiritual man. <laughs> he understands how it all shakes out, you know. I know it's easy. We get confused out in the world. If we listen to the world, we're going to be real confused. That's why when you come in here, that's why we open this and we do this. Because this pierces through the confusion. It pierces through all the confusion, right? The Word of God. There's no confusion. I must have Jesus. I must have the Lord. The born-again soul understands that He is our supreme need. And yeah, the lukewarmers and the nominal Christians, they like to pretend. They like to pretend uh, they're in the church. But if the I desire Jesus above all else upon the earth thing is real, it will be obvious to everyone in your orbit out there the people at work will know. The people at the university will know. The people you socialize with will know. The people in your neighborhood will know, hey, he belongs to Jesus. He loves Christ, man. He's crazy about Christ. He's, he's a nut about Christ, right? <laughs> That's who he is. They know. And every human being who's lived any number of years knows that our soul is Always thirsty. Always thirsty, right? As John Piper says, your, your heart and your soul, it's a desire factory. God built it that way. Why would God put endless desire in your heart? Why would He do it? Someone tell me. Why do you think that's true? 
Why does God build the human soul like that? That it can never be filled up. Why do you think that's true? Because He's infinite. It will take an infinite God to fill up your soul. You are always thirsty. You will always be thirsty. And Jesus Christ will quench that thirst for a billion eternities. It's who He is, beloved. It's what He does. I've shared this with you before. 17th century theologian Henry Scrugel, he talks about the raging and inextinguishable thirst in the soul of man. And then he says this, Never does a soul know what solid joy and substantial pleasure is till, once being weary of himself, renounces all property and gives itself up to the author of its being. I love that. Have you done that yet? Have you given yourself away to the author of your being? Have you given yourself away to your Creator? Have you given yourself away to the Redeemer God, Jesus Christ? It's part of what hell is. Always being thirsty forever. Always being thirsty. And no hope of that thirst ever being quenched. Jesus Christ has freely offered mankind the only remedy for soul thirst. John 7.37 You know what it says. If any man is thirsty, what does He say? Let him come to Me and drink. So I want to ask you, are you drinking? Are you drinking from the One who can satisfy your soul thirst? Verse 2 Thus I have beheld you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because verse 1 is true of David, verse 2 is true of David. David is an earnest seeker of God. So where does David make a habit of going? Where, where will you find David on the Sabbath? Where will you find David on the Sabbath? If he's in Jerusalem, where are you going to find David on the Sabbath? In the sanctuary. Why will you find David in the sanctuary? He's a mature spiritual man. That's where mature spiritual men and women, if you're Jewish and you live in David's era, you're in the sanctuary on the Sabbath. Because that's the time and place God has set aside to meet with His people, right? And it's the same for us. Old Testament, tabernacle, temple. New Testament, the church. God's people come into the church. They assemble together in the church. Why? It's the, it's the time and place that God has set aside for His people to be in the church on the day the Lord came out of the grave. It's called the Lord's Day. It's Sunday. And David says, I, I see. What does he say? He says, I see your power and your glory. Listen, I've been a Christian for 33 years now, and I see this all the time. You say, well, Jim, you'd have more people here if you did miracles. Um, miracles happen here all the time. Lives get changed all the time. God does miracles when His people gather together. 
It's one of the hardest things for a pastor to deal with. Uh, I, I know pastors all over the world in every single culture, not every single culture, but in many cultures. This is the hardest thing to deal with. People who put the Lord's Day on a bubble, it's always tentative, it's always negotiable. Well, if something better comes up, I'm not all in uh, with the congregational worship. I, I have something, quote-unquote, better to do. It's the, it's the hardest thing that a pastor deals with. Is that many who profess to be Christians, the sanctuary, in our case, the redeemed garage, is always negotiable. It's always on the bubble. Uh, it's a matter of convenience. It's a matter of, well, if I can fit it into my schedule. You see this often. David was not like this. David, If David's in Jerusalem, he's in the sanctuary because he's experienced the power and the glory of God in the sanctuary. I've told you this many times. I was converted in church. I woke up Sunday morning. I went to church to please my mom. I was completely indifferent to God. Somebody read the Bible and my life was changed. I was 28 years old. Cool stuff happens at church. I know some of you don't believe that. Lives get changed in the sanctuary where the glory and the power of God are manifested through the Word of God. God reveals Himself in a unique way in the assemblage of the people of God. You say, well, couldn't David worship in the wilderness? Well, of course he could, and he did. But he knew there's something unique about being with the people of God in God's place on the day that God has set aside. Beloved, I understand you're not going to be here every Sunday. I get that. My challenge to you is, is it your priority? Is it your priority to be in the sanctuary? Are you hungry for the power and the glory of God that comes off the Word of God? Verse 3, because... Oh, here it comes. <laughs> okay, David's driving the point home here. Verse 3, because your loving kindness is what? Someone tell me. Your loving kindness, God, is what? Better than anything else. It's better. Some of you don't believe it yet. Or some of, some of you have left your first love. It used to be like this for you. And some of you have never believed it. That He's better than life. He's better. We're way past self-esteem and self-actualization and meaningful experience and rewarding work. I'm not making light of these things. We all genuinely need these things. But not like we need God. Not like we need Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, beloved. You need Him. And He's offered Himself. You didn't have to go look for Him. He came looking for you. Amen? Is it not a breathtaking story? Does it not give you goosebumps? Well, if you're thinking rightly, you have goosebumps. This God came for me. This God bled out for me. You know, there ought to be 10,000 people in here trying to get in here to hear this, right? Not because I'm such a good preacher, but because this is so good. This is good, right? The Word of God 
is good. Jesus Christ is better than anything life can give and Jesus Christ is better than anything death can take. Beloved, I exhort every one of you in this room. I don't know where all of you are with Jesus Christ. I, have, I can't see your heart. You can't see my heart. I might just preach for a living. You have no idea if I love God. You can't see my heart. I might just be a good performer or not so good performer. But I exhort you to come to Christ. Really come to Christ. Really. Give yourself up to the author of your being and your life. You know, Paul's, a, Paul's such a great example here. Paul wrote the, the letter to the Philippians, right? It's called the Epistle of Joy. Paul's in prison and he's writing the letter and it's full of joy. How does that work? How does it work? How does a man in prison chained between two Roman soldiers about to be executed being slandered in the church? How does he write an Epistle of Joy? Because he's not really overly concerned about circumstance. He's looking at his God. He's looking at David's God. He's looking at David's God who's better than life. Amen? And, and Paul pins in, in Philippians 1.21 probably the, 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 the parallel passage from, from uh, Psalm 63.3. Paul pins it. Romans, uh, pardon me, Philippians 1.21. Anybody know it by heart? To live is Christ. To die is gain. You know, when you finally get there as a Christian, when you finally come to, to, to own that and believe that, you're absolutely completely free to just be a radical disciple until the Lord takes you home, right? And it's just all joy in the meantime. I'm not saying we don't have hard times, but God walks us through them. God brings us through. You know, Karen and I were talking about a situation in our family that's very difficult. And she said, what do you think? And I said, I think we pray through it. You know, that's what Christians do. We, we're going to pray through that. I have no idea what God's going to do, but I know this. He knows what He's going to do. And I'm going to pray through it, right? And let Him walk me through it. I think it's how, well, I know it's how we are supposed to process life. Look at that second phrase there in verse 3. Because this is true, my lips will praise you, right? My lips will praise you. Because it's true that you're better than, than life, my lips will praise you. As will the rest of my life. I'm not just a Sunday morning person. I'm not just a Sunday guy, right? My lips will praise you in the world. When it costs me to praise Jesus, the name of Jesus Christ in the world, I'll praise you in the world. Because you're better than life. You're better than my job. You're better than my career. You're better than my relationship. You're better than my family. If my family turns on me, you are better than life. Some of you I know, some of us in this room have experienced families turning on them. And it's a painful thing. It's a painful thing. Jesus Christ is better. Verses 4 and 5. So I bless you as... Long as I live, I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. David says, I will bless you as long as I live. What does it mean? What does it mean to bless God? I looked up the Hebrew, and it's beautiful. There are many different facets to this word. 
But the Hebrew word translated blessed here, it means, David is, what did David say? He says, I will honor you as long as I live. And I, I want you to, okay, put your name in this verse. Will you do this? Is this the commitment you've made to Jesus Christ? I will honor you as long as I live. I will praise you as long as I live. I will adore you as long as I live. I will worship you as long as I live. I will rejoice in you as long as I live. And then uh, one of the facets of the meaning here, I just really loved it. It means it gives the connotation of kneeling. Lord, I will bless you. Meaning, David says, I will kneel before you and worship you and submit my life to you. All that I have, all that I am, all that I own, oh, guess what? It's yours. And I submit it to you. I hold nothing to myself. It's all yours, God. It's what David is saying. I kneel in submission to you, God. I think it's beautiful. We're back to the essence of human need, happiness, and satisfaction. It's a life of knowing and living in submission to our Creator. I know Satan and the world and the media say otherwise, but I want to ask you, who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe God or are you going to believe the media? David says, I will lift up my hands in your name. It's, a, it's, the Jewish, it's simply the Jewish posture of prayer. It's a crying out to God and, 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 and a readiness to receive back from God. It's just the Jewish posture of prayer. It's what he's talking about. Some English translations actually use the word prayer here. It's a life lived talking to God. We've talked about prayer a lot. What is prayer? People think it's some kind of religious, mysterious uh, you know, thing. It's talking to God and listening to God. It's not mysterious. I talk to God all day long. Off and on. All day long. That's the kind of prayer I believe that pleases the Lord. Praying without ceasing? Does that mean I'm in my prayer closet all the time? No, it means I'm in that constant uh, mode of communication with the Lord. So David's in the middle of a gut-wrenching trial. He's in the wilderness. It looks pretty bad. Look what he says, verse 5. But I am satisfied as with marrow and fatness. What does that mean? It's just a metaphor for the most luxurious banquet you could imagine. He says, it's, it's really hard right now, but my soul is feasting on God. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. On your hardest day, God is doing a good thing, Romans 8.28, and He is marrow and fatness. What a beautiful thing. The last phrase there, uh, phrase there in verse 5, our mouths will offer praise with joyful lips. Even the Christian, even in the hard place, David, even in the wilderness, Paul, even in prison, genuinely praise God with joyful lips. Verses 6-8, through eight, When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. 
my soul clings to You. Your right hand upholds me. So I've done a lot of this, a lot of this this week. I've been laying in my bed awake. And I have not wasted the jet lag. Okay? I've not wasted the jet lag. I've done a lot of business with God this week. I got a lot of stuff on my mind. You say, Jim, you're an old guy. How could you have anything on your mind? You know? You, you just, yeah. You're on your way out, man. You're, it's all downhill for you, right? Listen, I got a lot on my mind. And so I'm laying in my bed and I'm just talking to God about it. And He's reminding me. He's making me think about how faithful He's been throughout my life. Not only in the, in the Bible, in the history of the church, but personally in my life. He says, Jim, I got this. He keeps telling me, I got this. Isn't it an awesome thing? David says, I, on my bed, I meditate on you. You are my help. It's a beautiful thing. I was reading uh, a commentary on this text, and uh, one old dead preacher, he, he was uh, com- commenting on meditating on the Scripture as compared to simply reading the Scripture. I, like, I liked his metaphor. He said this, Simply reading the Bible is like pouring yourself a glass of wine. Meditating on it is like drinking it. I know that a lot of us, and this is a good practice, we read the Bible, we check our box. Are you allowing the Bible to change your heart? Are you allowing the Bible to grow you and challenge you and convict you? Are you meditating on the truth? Verse 7, God is our help. I read Psalm 62, 5-8 earlier in the service. I'm going to read it again. I love this. It's a beautiful psalm. Psalm 62, 5-8. My soul waits in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Amen? Nobody believes it, huh? God is our refuge. God is our hope. It's what David is saying. David's in a hard spot. He's not even looking at it. He's looking at God. But, beloved, this is our prescription for life. You say, Jim, you don't know how hard it is. It doesn't matter how hard it is. Your God is God and your God is sovereign. And I love David's language here as he talks about the shadow of his wings. And of course, how can you not Think of Isaiah 40, verse 31, and I'll just read it to you quickly. Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Did you notice in verse 8, David says, My soul clings to you. That's how it is in biblical, saving, born-again Christianity. We're holding on to God But even more importantly, God is holding on to us. David says, I cling to my God. King James renders it this way. Instead of talking about clinging, he says they follow hard after God. I just love that. Those who follow hard after God. I think that's beautiful. Let's finish up. Verse 9. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. 
They will be a prey for the foxes. But the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by Him will glory. For the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. We talked about it last week. The enemies of God's people are the enemies of God. And just to quote Charles Spurgeon here, famous uh, 19th century preacher, the enemies of God will go down into hell. Verse 9. They will go into the depths of the earth. We talked about that last week as well. But David says, verse 11, A and B, I will rejoice in God as will everyone who swears by His glory. Simply meaning, what does it mean to swear by His glory? The meaning here is those who commit to God and agree with God and live in covenant with God. That's what it means. So, after we have dove into uh, Psalm 63, I hope we have a better understanding about when it comes to human happiness and satisfaction, what's really important. I'm not saying that these lesser needs are not needs. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying there's a high, there is a hierarchy here. And Jesus Christ is at the top. You need, Him, you need Him more than you need anything else. If you want to know the utmost need of humanity, the ultimate satisfaction of the human heart, the greatest joy and highest pleasure a human soul can know. His name is Jesus Christ. And I ask each one of you, as Paul told the Corinthians, I just ask you in love as your pastor, examine your heart. Is that where you are with the Lord? God's answer is found in David's words in Psalm 63. It's a radically personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Creator, Redeemer, God. This is what that relationship is supposed to look like. I'm going to read it to you one more time and we'll be dismissed. O God, You are my God. I shall seek You earnestly. My soul thirsts for You. My flesh yearns for You in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen You in the sanctuary to see Your power and Your glory. Because Your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise You. So I will bless You as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in Your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember You on my bed, I meditate on You in the night watches. For You have been my help. And in the shadow of Your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to You. Your right hand upholds me. This is what biblical Christianity looks like, beloved. This is what it looks like every day. Every day it looks like this. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank You for every soul that's in this building. 
And even in a small group like this, there are some who are not yet convinced. Not yet convinced that Jesus Christ transcends every other need. Lord, I pray we would hear what you're saying to us from the Word tonight. Each one of us. If we have taken you, the King of kings and Lord of lords, our great Redeemer God, if we have taken you for granted, we confess our sin and repent. If we have not sought you and loved you and desired you, as we hear in these words tonight, Lord, we confess and repent. Lord, help us to keep our eye on the ball. Help us to always understand that You've left us on the planet to be a light in the world. Not simply to have a great career, have a great family, some great kids, and a great retirement. That's way too small for the children of God to live for. Lord, help us to desire You like this. Help us to know that satisfaction of simply communing with You. What great possibilities, Lord. What great possibilities in knowing You and loving You and serving you. We give all glory to the name of Jesus. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.